guest here today. I'm usually the music leader. I appreciate Clint today doing that, and I'm honored today to have an opportunity to share the message on this Sunday after Thanksgiving. And if you are like me, it's uh, probably been easy to think about thankfulness this week. Um, We've kind of set aside this day for the last 160 or 70 years now or whatever it's been to say this is the day we're going to be thankful for sure, to remind ourselves, even if the rest of the year we forget to live a life of gratitude, we have this national holiday set aside. But gratitude really is imperative for the Christian. Maybe it's tough sometimes that the posture of our hearts, the words that come to our minds and form on our lips, sometimes those aren't filled with gratitude. And how do we live in gratitude and thanksgiving not just this weekend, on the easy weekend, but throughout this holiday season till the end of the year. And then as the calendar flips and rolls through the rest of the year, we're supposed to be grateful. Well, here's a little bit about gratitude. It's the difference between selfish living and generous giving. It's living as a steward of our gifts and not living as if we own our gifts. It's being content with what we have instead of living with a desire to always want something more. Gratitude is the difference between thinking we did it all ourselves and realizing that the blessings really come from above. And gratitude is the difference between being fully alive and mostly alive. Gratitude is more than good manners. It's more than being polite. It's more than being a good citizen. It's really a deep understanding that all good comes from God and that we can live freely and joyously with an attitude of giving God thanks and thanking others. So we come to this story in scripture that is about such an experience of gratitude and how Jesus responds and how he uses this story to teach us a more deeper meaning in Luke 17. So he's on his way to Jerusalem, traveling between Samaria and Galilee, And as Jesus is going into this village, 10 men who had leprosy meet him. They stood at a distance and they cried out in a loud voice, Master, have pity on us. These guys were probably pretty self-aware. They knew that they had been relegated to the outskirts of town because of this disease. They knew that they weren't supposed to be near others. It was, you know, just not good to infect someone with this disease for which there was no cure. And so they were willing to stand at a distance and to holler out Jesus. No doubt they had probably heard about Jesus' healing power. And in a day when there was no electronic media or maps to figure out where somebody was at any given moment, they just happened to stumble upon him. And they cried out, Jesus, can you do something? Well, Jesus answers, doesn't say anything too fancy. He just says, go show yourselves to the priests and you will be cleansed. <clears throat> well, he actually didn't say you'll be cleansed. As they went, they were cleansed. And this alone was an act of faith, that this group of 10 guys had to start marching toward the priest, toward town, in a, in a time when they knew they shouldn't be, not totally sure what Jesus might have meant, but willing to take a chance, not knowing what would happen. They headed out, and they took a horrific step in some ways, But they went, and as they were going, they were cleared of their disease. They were healed. 
the very act of going, the very act of taking that first step, often that first step of obedience to God is a sense of freedom in our lives that begins to change everything. It's kind of this foundational sort of freedom. It wasn't like everything was solved yet, but they had a direction and they took a first step. Well, as they went, they were healed. And as soon as one saw that he was healed, he came back praising God in a loud voice. I'm not sure about this guy. Maybe he didn't feel the same pressure to go to the priests. We learn later that he was a Samaritan. So maybe he didn't even know all the customs, the customs of the day that when you got healed, you had to go to the priest so they could approve the healing and let you back into regular living life. Instead, this 10th guy came and threw himself at Jesus' feet and thanked him and said, thank you, Lord, I'm healed. Well, Jesus looks at him and said, we're not all 10 cleansed. Where are the other nine? And I wonder if Jesus just asked this so they'd be written down someday for scripture because he didn't even give the guy a chance to answer the rest of the questions. Maybe they did and they didn't write that down. I'm not sure. But Jesus goes on, has no one returned to say thanks except this foreigner. Then Jesus says this line, rise and go, your faith has made you well. One guy, 10% returns to thank Jesus. And often in the Sunday school lessons that we might have heard when we were younger, the big lesson is um, be like the, the guy that said thank you. Always remember to say thank you because one guy did and that was the important thing. But we don't want to miss the big news here that he was not only healed, but that he was made whole. That his faith, his going to Jesus had somehow transitioned from just being one thing to being something much bigger. And we, all of us together, kind of the collective humanity, have a habit of settling for the good thing and not the best thing. We miss the big thing because the little thing seems so nice too often. I remember hearing a preacher story a long time ago about, it was December of 1903, and after many attempts, the Wright brothers, Orville and Wilbur, were successful getting their flying machine off the ground and into the air. They had actually flown for 120 feet, which was unreal. They couldn't believe it. So they sent home to their sister a telegram, and it said, Catherine, we have actually flown 120 feet. We will be home for Christmas. Catherine couldn't believe it either. She hurried with the telegram to the editor of the newspaper. And the editor quickly glanced at this big news and said, isn't that nice? The boys are gonna be home for Christmas. <laughs> and missed the big thing. The big thing was that they had actually flown. Totally missed the big news. And so in this scripture today, I don't want us to miss this important bit. That somehow the connection between this guy's gratitude for Jesus was the impetus for his life, not only being healed, but being whole. That blows my mind to think that somehow there would be a connection between our response and God's grace of wholeness in our lives. Well, gratitude can be a difference maker. Can it make that much difference in our lives whenever we're thinking about this little act of giving thanks? But there is that connection between gratitude and wholeness. Jesus probably already knows that way before any of us, how important it is to our lives and our bodies and our minds 
that we would be grateful people. He already knows that we need to live out gratitude. There are scriptures all through the Bible that talk about the importance of those words. Proverbs 16, 24, pleasant words are like honeycomb, sweet to the soul and health to the body. And you know, you can Google a search and, and see that it's been scientifically documented somewhere in the depths of scientific document, documentation, but it's been documented, and we can kind of understand this even without reading the studies, what gratitude does in our lives. One, gratitude improves our sleep. So way back, the writers of the um, scriptures knew that we could have peace when we sleep. You will keep in perfect peace those whose minds are steadfast because they trust in you. Those who lift their lives up to the Lord and put their trust in him understand that it's because of God's work in our lives that we can be totally free. And when that happens, we, are, we improve our sleep. We don't have to go to bed wondering about life. We go to bed trusting that God is at work, knowing that God never sleeps, and that we can, as a result, live a life of thankfulness, even as we lay our head on the pillow at night. The second thing is that it rewires the brain. When we think in terms of abundance and blessing and thankfulness for all that God has given us, it creates kind of different little pathways for us to think. Instead of thinking negative and sad and poor us and we don't have anything. It's kind of a difference between saying I have to versus I get to do this. I have to do this versus I get to do this. That can be said about putting up Christmas decorations around your house. You don't have to do that, you get to. And that's such a fun thing, if it does take all day long and it's just fun to be a part of something. You don't have to, you get to. I'm not the expert on perspective. I can't wait till I get a little more mature and become the expert on perspective, but the Lord did give me some perspective the other day on the way home from a wedding we were attending. I was all by myself, driving in the car, and a rock came and hit our windshield. Boom, I heard it loud and clear, immediately saw the effects of a big, huge snowball-looking thing, and very soon after, and it just went, and the window had to be repaired. And I don't know what it was about that moment, but my mind set went to this. I immediately thought, and I think it was a gift from the Lord, I immediately thought instead of, oh no, 200 more bucks down the drain that we don't have, I thought, wow, it was really good that we had a windshield right there. Otherwise, I would have been hurting. And it just was a totally a surprise to me that I even thought about that. And so I used that line when I got home to tell Suzanne, the windshield cracked, but it's good we had a windshield. And it's like, she smiled. Like, okay, well, that, that works. And, and then I talked to the insurance company, and I was like, well, at least we had a windshield. And they said, well, yeah. And they first apologized for my inconvenience. And I'm like, oh, there's no inconvenience at all. I mean, much better than my forehead. So thank you for this, this windshield. Then I talked to Safelight, and the guy came out, and he was, oh, and I said, well, at least I had a windshield. And he smiled. And in every case, it uplifted the spirit because I realized, man, that was a gift Praise the Lord, the rock didn't come through the car. And so it rewires us to think that way, to have a different sort of thought. I love the scripture, rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. That's a mandate to not only rejoice in the Lord, but if you're not sure what to rejoice for, figure out something to be rejoiceful about. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. So improve sleep, rewires your brain. And the fourth one, on the bulletin notes, it says fosters clearer thinking. 
And ironically, this is the one point that I put in and did the wrong one on, which cracks me up, the irony of talking about clear thinking and the messing it up, but that's fine. But I went with fosters deeper connections. And that's what I was thinking about when I made that note the wrong way. Both of them probably work. Just Google it and find some support for the other one. But uh, fostering deeper connections, it's, it's so much more fun to be around a thankful person filled with gratitude different than a person who isn't thankful for anything. And we could all probably pinpoint those, and I don't think people run around and say, you were thankful and you weren't, so let's be friends. I mean, we don't do that like uh, systematically. It's, it's more like just an attraction when we realize that someone has gratitude about life and thankfulness, that we're there to speak with them or talk with them. When my older daughter, who was about two at the time, year and a half or two, or whatever it was when she started praying prayers for meals, First couple times, I couldn't understand what she was even saying. It went something like, Lord, thank you for this. And then I picked up, Lord, thank you for this. Then I wasn't sure if maybe I'd cook that night, and she wasn't sure what to pray for, so she just kind of did a generalization. But as it turned out, that was her dinner prayer. Lord, thank you for this. Didn't matter what it was. It was that we were sitting down, and we were eating dinner together. And I've often thought about that little phrase, and she has outgrown that for sure. But one of the things about that little season of our lives was we were excited just to sit down and hear Ruby be thankful. It was a kind of a connection, kind of a, a moment. And so I praise the Lord for those little times that foster deeper connections because we're thankful. Well, the fourth one is that gratitude combats stress. It keeps us from stressing out. It's kind of like a buffer. If you're going to have two, a battle, two different groups, gratitude holds off the stress. My mom used to always run around saying, yeah, it seems like every time I'm in the school, back when she was in the school before she retired, she'd say, people would look outside and come in, and they'd say, oh, man, it's a horrible day out there, too gloomy. And another time she would say, they'd walk in and say, oh, it's such a hot day out there. That's just too much. Whew, I'm glad I'm not outside. That's horrible. So it was always either rainy or too cloudy or too hot or too muggy. And finally, one day she thought, well, what days are they happy? So she started listening for it. And she discovered that it still didn't work. Because on the most beautiful spring and fall days, people walked in and said, doesn't it stink to be stuck outside, inside today on a day like today? And so she realized that it didn't really matter. The, the stress was sort of uh, there either way whenever we don't have thankfulness for what we have been given. And I don't want to have a sermon here that kind of leads us to think that everything is happy and chipper. Because I know there are times that are tough and things in life that are stressful. But I think God still calls us to be thankful for what he has given us in this life. There was a story about a Scottish minister named Reverend White who was known for his uplifting prayers in the pulpit. Always found something for which to be grateful, even on the tough times. One Sunday morning, the weather was so gloomy and everything was so bad that one church member thought to himself, certainly the preacher won't think of anything today to be thankful for. Well, much to his surprise, Reverend White began praying, we thank thee, O Lord, that every day is not like this. <laughs> and it's just a difference of how we feel that stress of what we're going on in life. That even the tough things that we're dealing with, medical stuff and relationship stuff and financial stuff, at some point, will begin to fade. And we still hold on to this hope of wholeness 
found only in Jesus. And because of that, we are given the gift of being able to live in gratitude. And Jesus knew that gratitude was for our benefit. I'm sure Jesus was happy to know that these men were healed. I mean, Jesus is a big man. He's not going to take his miracles and go home because somebody didn't come back and say thank you after he healed them. In fact, there's not a whole lot of scriptures where people did kind of return. We saw the after effects, but another place, um, the, the blind man that was healed went to find Jesus, and he had trouble finding him because he was blind when he was healed, and he wasn't sure who he was looking for. But, I mean, there are a couple places where that happens. But I think Jesus knows how much gratitude is needed in our lives more than a thanks for him. He's already complete. When that gratitude is in our lives, we can remain confident, trusting that God's grace is growing in us. And then this guy returns. And maybe it's because he wanted to find out more, to be around Jesus for a moment, to be with him. The benefactor of, of uh, this, this gift, we want to know this person the resource, where it came from. When someone has blessed us, we want to find out more. And I remember one time, several years back, we got a check in the mail for Harvest Ministry. And um, to me, it seemed like a lot of money, $500, I think it was, and maybe $300, I'm not sure. But I remember getting that check and looking at the name and thinking, I do not know who this person is. And so I looked up their number through their check and address, and I called them and said, I want to thank you for that gift. And I just wanted to find out how you were connected to Harvest. And the lady on the other end said, oh, I love to listen to your radio program every single morning. And immediately bells went off in my head since I've never been on the radio. And I was like, oh, no. All right, I think you're thinking of the big Harvest out in California with Greg Laurie. And we're the small little homegrown Southern Illinois Harvest team. And she was quiet for a minute. And then finally she said, well, that was a mistake on my part, but the Lord must have wanted you to have it, so go ahead and keep it. And so we did, and we utilized it, and we praised the Lord for it, and I kept her on the mailing list, and we stay connected because this person had blessed us, and there was, there was a desire in my life to figure out who and why and what, and I praised the Lord for that. Another time, we got another uh, connection of a lady who, who was at a youth rally, so I didn't even notice her too much. I didn't actually get to meet her much, but it was a bunch of students there. And an older lady walked in and sat there. And so she, in the process of getting connected to us through that music time, sent me a couple notes and encouraging notes and a, an email she'd sent to someone once. And she sent me a picture of her and her dog. And she um, just kind of thanked the Lord for us. She encouraged us. So several months later, I was at that same church again. And I ran into her and I said, Marjorie, thank you for all those notes and cards and encouragement. And thank you so much. And she goes, oh, no problem. I'll be 90 soon. Uh, tomorrow, actually. Well, lo and behold, my granny had just turned 90 a week before then. And in the process of preparation for my granny's 90th birthday, I had researched everything about somebody who's 90 and had put this in a little birthday card. And so I discovered some things born in 1927, and I discovered that, uh, that she was born in September and... Um, that the, the Mount Rushmore hadn't even been started carving until October of 1927. So I was pretty enthralled by that because it felt like that had been there forever. Then I look at my granny, I think the same thing. So I just didn't think too much about it. And I just uh, told her and, and everybody laughed and loved it. And so I run into this lady and she says, I'll be 90. I said, you were born in 1927. And when you were born, Mount Rushmore hadn't even been started yet. 
And I discovered that's not how you win friends who are 90. You don't talk about like <laughs> things like that. But she smiled and she, she thought it was funny and, and we talked and talked and we stayed connected and we still are. And it's all because the encouragement began, the blessing happened, and then my desire was to sort of figure out who and why and what. And I think it was the case with this guy that the focus immediately became, wow, how did that happen? Who was this? Who was this guy? And he went to say thank you. So what keeps us from that kind of gratitude? Well, one thing, and there's probably a list of 100 things that keep us from gratitude, but we'll look at three today. And one is, the first one, is worry. Worry can keep us from being fully grateful. Because we don't look at what we have, we look at what we're dealing with. We don't look at the positives, we look at the blank spaces, the negative. These guys in scripture, the 10 guys, had been living who knows how long, isolated from the rest of their community, and they probably had plenty of time to worry about how they were ever gonna make it back, if they were gonna make it back, what was gonna happen to their families, what was happening to them, how long they'd have to stay out there, how they were gonna live life out on the outskirts of town with a disease that has no cure. Worry probably invaded them. And as a result, possibly overshadowed their gratitude. I heard a joke one time, and I preface it by saying a joke so that you'll know to laugh, but I heard a joke about a compulsive worrier for years to the point it was ruining his life. He saw a psychologist who recommended a specialist that could help him. Well, this guy named Jack, who was this worrier, he had a friend named Bob who noticed a dramatic change in Jack's life and said, what happened? Nothing seems to worry you anymore. And Jack replied, oh, I hired a professional worrier and haven't had a worry since. And Bob said, whoa, that must be expensive. And Jack said, yeah, he charges 5,000 a month. And Bob said, well, how in the world can you afford to pay 5,000 a month? And Jack replied, I have no idea. That's his problem. <laughs> I thought that was pretty funny when I first read it, but so far it's been like 50-50. But I do know that worry is a sin because one, God says it is, and because it's a failure to trust God. It gives the devil a foothold. First Peter 5, 7, cast all your cares on him because he cares for you. That's the job of our worries that we have is to give them to the Lord. Worry is playing God, thinking we can solve our issues, just wondering about them. And when worry creeps in, gratitude shadows, and vice versa. When gratitude comes in full force, it overshadows worry because our perspective has changed. We don't wanna let worry happen. We want to live in gratitude. Here's the second one, selfish living. When we're totally focused on ourselves and ourselves alone, we miss the opportunity to be grateful. I don't wanna clarify here, I know most everyone here, and I don't think we're selfish people. I don't think we'd look around and say, ooh, they're selfish, I could tell that a mile away or anything like that. We don't sit around and just, and we all have a sense of that, but it's not like we're, uh, you know, Scrooge types. I mean, most of us are giving and loving people. But unfortunately, I think that we, just by the nature of the metro lifestyle, get focused on selfish living. I recently read a book called The 100 Thing Challenge, written about 10 years ago, about a guy named Dave Bruno, who decided he was gonna spend a year living with only 100 possessions. 
And he listed the possessions. He had like, you know, five shirts that counted for five things, a pen, a pencil, a pair of shoes, two pairs of khakis, two pairs of jeans. And uh, the, the washing machine was a household item, so it didn't count. So I guess you could keep recycling all those clothes. But he had a whole list of stuff, of, of uh, thoughts and, and things that happened. This fascinating book of living life with just 100 things for the year. And one of the takeaways from that book was how much consumerism can overtake us and how much we try to fill the voids and the unfulfilled dreams in our lives with things and the way advertising kind of works, and we all know that, and we're in this season of exactly that. And I think about how selfish living can overshadow our gratitude because our houses are full of whatnot. And we walk around, and instead of saying, oh, that's, that's an awesome gift from so-and-so, we look around and say, what are we going to do with all this stuff? We just, it's overshadowed because of too much, too much stuff. And Dave Bruno goes on to say, real faith cannot be bought at a store. We can't pay money for it. Faith is the means by which we take our incomplete and imperfect lives and do something marvelous with them. We cannot use a credit card or even cash for something so wonderful. Take our imperfect lives and do something marvelous. And he was talking about Faith, but I think the same could be exchanged for gratitude. We take our lives that need healing and need Jesus' touch, and we do something marvelous. We say thank you. We praise God, and we let the world know that he has done something in us. And the same might have been said for the lepers. Wholeness doesn't come from being healed and getting back to their regular scheduled lives with their homes, families, and workplaces. It comes from an understanding that they are healed because of God's work in their lives. All they have, health and everything, is God's. Selfish living keeps us from being grateful. And that's why it's so important. That's why it's so important to encourage others and to know that we need to say thank you to God and those around us. I once saw a little cartoon with a turtle on a fence post. And maybe you have seen this as well. And the bottom of the picture that I saw said something like, there's one thing you know for sure about a turtle on a fence post. It didn't get there by itself. And so if any of us feel like we have done it, remember, you didn't do it on your own. It was because of God's work in your life. And as a result, we return thanks and say, thank you, Lord, for that. So the first one's worry, the second one's selfish living, and the third thing that might keep us from living a life of gratitude is that it's too emotional. I actually had too emotion-y, but I didn't think of it as a word, so I just changed it to too emotional. Often, even especially with guys, and maybe that's stereotypical, shouldn't say that, but I know when a guy comes up to thank another guy, the responses are usually something along the lines of, ah, don't even mention it. It was nothing. Don't say it. Punch them in the arm. I mean, it's like we just try to keep it away. Just, let's just keep living life. Let's don't talk about thanking each other for this and that and the other. But maybe it does seem like it's a little bit too humble, too vulnerable, too emotion-filled to be a person who kind of exuberates gratitude and thanksgiving for all that we have, praising God. And I could see where it would put us in a place that would make us feel like we're too soft men and women alike, like it's just a little bit too something. The other day I was sitting on the bed with my littlest daughter and I said, you know, it's important for dads and daughters to talk when they're young because it builds a good relationship. And I was kind of just thinking, I wonder what she'd say about this little dialogue here. 
Well, she just nodded her head. So I said, and then, you know, as your relationship grows when you're young, then when you get to be a teenager and an adult, then there's a lot of relational bank, and we can, you know, pull on that, and our relationship's better. And she nodded her head. I said, so that's why it's important that we find times like these to sit and talk and just be together in conversation. At that point, she didn't nod her head. She jumped off the bed and ran down the hallway screaming, Mom, Dad's been reading a book. And <laughs> I hear her as she goes down the hall thinking that this guy's gone bonkers on me. And so maybe even to little kids, it gets a little bit too weird to show gratitude sometimes. But Scripture turns the idea on its head. When we are weak, we are strong. And when we are last, we are first. And when we humbly serve others, we become a leader. And based on this one story alone in scripture, the guy's humble posture and words of thanks, the attitude of thanksgiving for what took place on the surface of his life gave new grace and life to his bones and light to his eyes. He not only was clean-skinned again, he was whole. His faith had made him whole. And the smart person will take this and go with it. It's a no-brainer to be grateful and to practice it. Well, the kicker for me in this story, I've heard the story hundreds of times, I'm sure. Even wrote a song about it back in college. I tried to look that song up, but couldn't find it anywhere, so I have no idea even how it even went, but I know I did. And as scripture often does, even in all that familiarity, there's a new takeaway for me today. What did the guy do? He came back to Jesus. He remembered the person who brought it all on. He took it back a few notches, and it was no longer his doing or a good fortune or anything like that. He knew it was Jesus, and he pinpointed it, and he sought him out. And he did have to seek him out, I'm sure, because it wasn't like Jesus was sitting at his house or at a booth on the side of the road, you know, ready for people to come back and respond in thankfulness. He was on a journey when the story began, and probably he had to track him down and say, Jesus, thank you. But this guy comes and he praises God in a loud voice. And the scripture says he threw himself at the feet of Jesus and thanked him. He took an active approach to gratitude. There was nothing subtle about it. It wasn't a note in the mail or anything like that. It was person to person, totally humble, totally full of awe and thanksgiving for what had happened. And because of this, Jesus has this conversation. You can go. Your faith has made you whole. I was at a concert a, a few, uh, couple weeks back. And in a quick quip, a guy said something that caused me to want to preach on this subject today. As he's introducing a song, he told a quick story of a preacher who was up on the stage throwing his arms up and talking loudly and totally animated and going crazy and holding the mic and making stories and jokes and just going nuts, preaching and proclaiming the goodness of God. And at the end of the service, somebody came out from the church service and said, son, I don't know if you should be jumping and hooping and hollering that crazy up there while you're trying to preach. I mean, that just seems a little over the top, and I don't think Jesus would have done that. And the preacher responded, Jesus may not have done that, but every single person that he touched did. And that stuck with me, that when Jesus healed the blind man, he leapt for joy. When Jesus caused the guy that couldn't walk to walk, he ran and he praised God and he told everybody he could. 
And every time that he would touch someone in some way, they went crazy. They told everybody. They responded in a way that was more than just fold their hands and stand there politely. It was a gratitude that filled every ounce of their being. People received the wholeness, and their lives were different. Well, that guy's life was different. And we really don't hear much about the other nine after that point. Um, only one came back, we know that, but the other nine, we don't know where they went. I went, read one little commentator who decided to try to make up some reasons why the other nine didn't come back. And um, so this is totally made up. This obviously isn't in scripture, but this guy said, one waited to see if the cure was real. One said he would see Jesus later on and would let him know then how much he appreciated it. One decided he never really did have leprosy. <laughs> one said he would have gotten well anyway. One said any rabbi could have done it. Another one said, I was really, all much, I was really, all, I was really already much improved. And one gave glory to the priests that he showed the clean skin to. But we learned this one guy who returned thanks was given a whole other blessing. His active gratitude was an important ingredient. And maybe that's a whole other sermon, how God allows our part of things to shape the result of his grace in our lives. It's being an open recipient of saying, thank you, Lord, whatever it is that you have. I appreciate it. And maybe that's what worshiping God actively is, saying thank you, God. That's why we're sitting here in these pews Sunday after Sunday, coming the first hour or so of the new week to say, Lord, thank you. Active gratitude, rolling out of bed, getting in the car and showing up. And it might be more than that. It might be humbly coming before the Lord and giving witness to what he's done, telling others. That's where uh, gratitude grows in us a generous and a, a generosity and a freedom stems from an active thankfulness. Jesus is the hope, he's the promise. Life is found in him and in him alone and it's our response to Jesus, our gratitude for that that shapes us. And the world needs more people like this guy. That's who we need to be. So what is our response today? Well one, how can I actively be grateful towards God today? There's numerous ways to answer that. I don't even want to start to answer it because it's so different for each one of us that we have this opportunity to be grateful towards God. And not just today, but this holiday season as we approach this Christmas season of all kinds of opportunities to grumble about this or that, that we would be grateful. And then how can my freedom and wholeness found in Christ allow me to express my gratitudes towards someone else today? to humble ourselves, to share God's great grace with us in telling someone else how much we appreciate them. I'll give God thanks for this story. I invite you to pray with me. Lord, we thank you for your presence in our lives and for the stories in scripture that teach us and shape us and for the ways, God, that you are at work in each person here. Your Holy Spirit's at work as we hear the words from scripture. Lord, we thank you for this Thanksgiving season and we thank you for this coming up season of Advent and Christmas where we have an opportunity to put these words into practice. We lift our lives up to you and ask this in Jesus' name, amen.